Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And it is my uh, privilege and honor to say to you today, he is risen. He is risen indeed. This is our Easter episode. I'm here with my most frequent co-host, Aaron Perry, who helped me start this podcast uh, uh, quite a while back and then restarted it up this uh, this calendar year. And I made sure to save the Easter slot for him because I wanted to do Easter with him. So um, we're so excited to uh, share a little bit on the passage of the discovery of the empty tomb from the book of Luke. So we uh, we hope that you'll enjoy this as much as we did and that it will be of some edification for you as you're preparing uh, to preach or teach or just want to um, listen in uh, for um, insights in your own personal study. Uh, we hope this will be of some value to you. So here we go. All right, so we're doing this for Easter Day, the first Sunday of Easter, Easter Sunday itself. And year C, that is Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. So we're turning there right now. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. You gamed up read this week? Absolutely. Sweet, go for it. On the first day of the week... Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. There ends the reading of today's passage, the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us uh, say a prayer. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open and all desires known, cleanse the thoughts of all our hearts and open our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, per our custom, we begin with some observing. What do you see? What do you notice? What jumps out at you this week? Uh, Well, two things jumped out at me. One was the very careful structure of the very first sentence. On the first day of the week... Mm. Very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. There's a there's two actions, taking spices and going to the tomb. There's two structures of time, first day of the week, very early in the morning, and it all centering around one group of characters, the women. So I was, I was mm-hmm. notice, noting that as I was reading it, just because it was a sentence that I was pausing at different points as I was reading it. Uh, the other thing that I noticed was some of this um, unfolding with the message. So... They came back from the tomb. It says they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. And then it gives us extra detail. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, yeah. and the others who told uh, with them who told this to the apostles. And I was like, "What's the yeah? What, what's the what's that detail about?" It seems almost 
it's not redundant. It doesn't say the same thing. It says something different than what it says before. Um, and then it says, but they did not believe that the women. So I'm like, does it not, they're not believing, um, are they not like the women is the first group mentioned in verse one. Right. And I'm like, are they not believing the women or are they not believing Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James? Um, so I was trying to sort that out in my head, uh, as I was reading two things. And then finally, um, Peter's reaction at the end. So the women uh, go to the tomb on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. And Peter, uh, whenever he hears these things, uh, gets up and runs to the tomb. So it's like their, their prepared action to go to the tomb and his spontaneous action to, to mm. go to the tomb seem like a, maybe a, a bit of a, a compliment to one another there. Ooh, that creates a little um, inclusio, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it's maybe, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Two trips to the. Yeah. So those, that was kind of the, the flow of it that I was initially noting. How about you? Yeah. Well, the, the, th- in addition to all of that, including especially the, the listing of the names of the women at the end was a little awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to work on not running to answer my questions too quickly. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to practice like observational, uh, discipline. Mm. <laughs> so I have thoughts about that. Maybe we'll come back to it. Um, but, uh, the, the the two things that really grabbed me were the statement of the the men, the two men, the dazzling, right? Mm. Well, even before the statement, something I don't feel like I've ever noticed before is that they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. I've never seen that detail. Okay. Never pictured the women kind of prostrated before these two dazzling men, right? And then I love this question, right? Why do you seek the living among yeah, the dead? It's yeah. so clever. Yeah. So annoying. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, well, didn't know that he was alive. It's like a classic. It's yeah. like my, my, uh, yeah, my father yeah, yeah. loves to say like, do we want to have coffee with the, the dessert? But no dessert's been prepared. It's like his way, like ask the next question that just assumes that the first question's yeah. already been yeah, answered. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, why do you seek the living among the dead? And and then remember, right? Remember how he told you while back in Galilee. Okay. So this reference to yep, Galilee, yep, yep. that the son of man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day rise, this kind of quoting of Jesus prediction. And then that verse eight just punches me in the gut. And they remembered his words, right? Mm. As if they had forgotten, right? Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that this was the plan all along. So that's what really strikes me. Uh, we'll probably get into this later, but uh, I'm also just uh, my my sense of humor and my sense of ire always rises in uh, verse 11 too. Uh, but these words seem to them, the men, an what idle nonsense. tale and they did not believe them. Just the kind of like – Stupid ladies, what do they know? Like you can totally no. feel the kind of uh, quick dismissal. Um, and yeah, anyway, that that just kind of always makes me mad. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, did they present the angel's account as well? Sorry, the dazzling men. Did, they, right. did, did they present the well the account of the dazzling men, why do you seek the living among the dead? Because if, if perhaps they told them that account, that wouldn't make sense to those who are listening either. That's true. Right? That's true. Maybe they had the same response that you're like, what's what's that doesn't make any sense. He didn't go there to like, we, we weren't thinking this, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like we had this in the back of our mind. This is, it's like the, the note of, of them forgetting his words. Right. Like that, that's applies symbol- to them too. That's right. Like, that's right. like no one, no one has gone there seeking the living among the dead. Like none of them, none of them have. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's just a wondering what, yeah. uh, what, what, what about it is nonsensical. Cause actually the whole thing is nonsense. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, you know? very, very so. Yeah. Yeah. It's only, it's only, I, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself and I want to try to be careful not to do this, but it's one of those things where it's like, you want to try really hard. I want to try really hard when I study a text to not bring in too much outside, uh, thoughts yep. at first, at least on the flip side, the best way to do that is to name the outside thoughts that are coming. Right. In order to let them not subtly affect me, but rather be conscious. Right. Yep. And I know something that's popping in my head is the way that when the, when the later in this chapter, when the, when the guys come back from Emmaus and they find the 11 saying the Lord has risen and he appeared to Simon. Mm. Right. And it's this kind of like, oh, so since Simon 
Like, you know, you trust Simon, but not the ladies. On the flip side is it's the appearance. It's not just the empty tomb. Because mm-hmm. in a sense, the empty tomb is is nonsense without the appearance of Jesus. Right? That, that, yeah. that, that, that doesn't automatically entail right. that he's alive. It right. could entail all kinds of things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, it's the just as an appearance with the tomb still full. Mm-hmm. Also is just a ghost, yeah. right? It's the combo yeah. that really brings it home. So yeah, maybe I need to be a little bit nicer to the disciples, but I just, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm also... Give them a shot. It, give, it, give the ladies a shot. You know, like, like go check well, it out like Peter does, right? Peter, sure, Peter actually yeah, ends up looking yeah, yeah. good here because uh, yeah. he's like, well, I'm going to go look for myself, right? There, there's part of I this, like that. Uh, another bit of this. So I'm noticing the list here. Um mm-hmm. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. So again, again, I'm trying to go back to who who are the women who go to the tomb? Who's in this group? And um, as yeah. it as it reads, it, did you go it back seemed, a little bit because I started doing that too? Well, I, I want to compare this to another spot in the in the Gospel of Luke, okay. but it's it's ambiguous. When they came back from the tomb, I'm assuming that that means the women, right? When the women came back from the tomb, mm-hmm. they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. And then it says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the and the others with them who told this to the apostles. So I'm thinking, is Mary are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James part of the women, mm-hmm. or are they part of the others who then take these to the apostles? And I'm just curious about about that because. There's obviously listing these names for a reason, and one of the reasons I want to go into in just a second, or one of the observations I want to make about this list. But I'm I'm not sure if it's including them in the women or if this is a separate group of women from those who went to the tomb. Gotcha. um, Anyways, this list of women and the structuring of of, with the eleven is similar to chapter eight. I was going to say chapter eight, right? Yeah, right. Verse one and two. Mary Magdalene. Well, and and Joanna. Um, the 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary Magdalene called Ma- uh, Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Mm-hmm. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and yes. many others. So, so Mary Magdalene is the same. Uh, Joanna is the same and Susanna's not, but now we have Mary, the mother of James. But if James is one of the apostles, James, then that would also locate her as a Galilean. Right, because okay, James sure. comes from up there. If it's that James, we okay. don't know. Okay. But, um, that'd be a common name. So, yeah, I, I, and we are we are meant to take some kind of identity that that the reader would know who this James is. So probably not mm-hmm. some no name James. <laughs> That'd be a great nickname, wouldn't it? Right. No right. no no name James. Um, but here, here's what I'm here's part of it is that Joanna is the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Yeah. So seemingly somebody with. With um, status, mm-hmm. somebody whose word would be more reliable than yep. a woman who's she's a, she's from whom a, the demons had been cast out. She'd be a slave class, but the top end of that class, if that so, makes sense. Like a manager would usually rise up through the ranks within the servants' world, so she'd be lower class. But the man, so a manager in the ancient world would usually be the kind of chief chief slave. So yeah, like, like a Joseph, right? right? Like exactly. Um, so there, there's some um, yeah no, respectability, respectability. There. Well, here's some here's some additional clue. Then if we're going there, Luke twenty three verse fifty five identifies these women without names. Okay. So it says it was the day of preparation. That's fifty four, mm-hmm. and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee, right? Which I is a clearly signaling back to chapter eight, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you're already imagining that statement, Galilee, women from Galilee, that just by, almost by definition means Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary James, etc. right? They, they followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. That's how they knew where to go, it implies, right? Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. Right. And then Mm -hmm. it says, but on the first day of the week, then it goes on. So, I mean, these are since the they of chapter 24. And of course, the chapter breaks are not original. Always good to remind our hearers of that, our listeners. Right. Um, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they meaning these women. Right. These Galilean women went to the tomb. Right. And um it's still awkward that he reveals yeah. the names at the end, yeah. right? But I think that uh, that reference to Galilee there confirmed again. Remember when he was still in Galilee? So it's clearly these are at least Galilean women. Mm. Now, you're right that just strictly using these verses in front of us, right? The uh, It's possible that 
it was a different set of Galilean women, right? Um, but I don't know. My my mind kind of wants to just assume that he's kind of there, there's. It's not a and then, right? There's there's a way to construct this even in the original, right? Like, but to say Hassan Day and the Elegon, yeah, just the whole structure of it, at least as I'm as at least as I'm reading it, sure comes across as a now the people we were just talking about are these women. This isn't a new event in verse 10. You know I what see, I'm saying? I see. It's just a different way of saying the same. It's I mean, still it's, awkward it's, yes, to say it, it the awkward. reveal yeah. of who it was yeah. for the end. Um, now it was these people. Right. right. Here's my hunch is, so the other gospels, not to get into that too soon, but Matthew, Mark, John, all identify the women at the beginning of the story. Right. As going, um, but they, um, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. Yeah. Actually, what's funny is Mark and Matthew end up having to be repetitive, right? Cause they, they also mentioned this detail that they were there watching him get buried. Right. So Luke decides to save all the name reveals for the end of the story. Right. So he doesn't name them at the, at the, at the tomb. He doesn't name them in the morning. He kind of saves it for the end of the story. Now, why he does that is bizarre to me, but well, maybe it's, maybe there's a reason with the action that they take. It was, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the others with them who told the, the, this to the apostles, that the action is on their telling rather than on their names being associated with their presence. And mm. there, there's a group here. It's these specific people that are in the, the telling of so it's the within action. the group. Maybe these are the kind of reporters, you know, the leaders yeah, of that group yeah, yeah. in a way. Yeah, and and we're to associate with them the reporting, the telling. But I mean, there's no question in my mind. I mean, in terms of like just looking parallel at Matthew and Mark, the flow of the story is identical until you get to verse 10. Mm -hmm. So the possibility also is that Luke is following sources and then he's inserting his now. It does. I mean, it It, it feels like an insertion. It feels like an insertion. And if there was external evidence, so the internal evidence says this feels added. Yeah. If there was external evidence, namely manuscripts that didn't have this in it, then we'd have reason to believe that this was added later. However, that's not the case except for verse 12. There are manuscripts that don't have Peter running to Mm. look at the tomb. And you can see why. That sure sounds like the story from John. And there's a lot, a lot of manuscripts will have this where a story from one story, you know, from one gospel gets inserted in short form into another one. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So that one is more of a question mark, uh, but there's no... Just at least a quick look at the manuscripts at the bottom of my page. I don't see any evidence that there's anything that 10 and 11 are missing. Um, but it's clearly Luke's own pen, at least, vis-a-vis yeah, yeah. Mark and Matthew, who have no – they'd already listed the women and listed a different list of women. You know what? Oh, it just hit me. It just dawned on me what's going on. Okay, I got to look back. I, I could be wrong. It just dawned on me what might be going on. I said what is going on. That was a misspeak. <laughs> Let's find the moment of the death and the women that are with him there. So I just had an idea. Uh, where's that? You're talking about Luke? Yeah, so in Luke. Luke. So 23. Um, does it mention any women at the cross with him? My Greek's not that good. I got to get out my English if I'm going to flip around like that. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but 20, Luke 23. It, it doesn't name them that I can see. Does it just say women? It has a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and there wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Do not weep for me. Weep not for yourselves for your, for your children. That would mean they're not Galileans. Um. Yep, and then they just show up at the end, the women from Galilee, right? Um, so here's a hunch, and this is classic Luke, if so. Like, when things get a little confused in Mark and Matthew, you'll often see Luke do this, where he'll just kind of iron it all out and make it simpler. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? To make it clearer. Because he's obsessed with, like, the chronology and the clarity of the structure of the stories, you know? Um, at least that's what I've noticed in some of my study of Luke. And it actually works really well for Luke's style to just say, well, you know, you're a writer, you know this. Like, you know, when you're like, keep trying to decide 
the way to reference something. If you can just find a generic term, you just use the generic term until you decide to <laughs> specify. I wonder if he just decided to talk about women the whole time. And then, cause even Matthew and Mark have different, not the exact same list of women at the tomb on good Friday than who comes on Sunday morning. And this is like a confusing question. Like, and I think Luke just irons it all out and just says the women, right. Until the end. And then he identifies, he's like, Oh, but I still want to give them credit. So he identifies them at the end. Mm. And he gives a slightly different list than they do. And in, in, again, classic Luke fashion, he's like, I did a little research and I think you guys got the wrong list. Here's, <laughs> you know what I mean? You get that vibe from the opening sentences of the book where he's like, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of gospels around there, but they're all kind of a mess. And nice. <laughs> I'm going to put it all decently in an order. <laughs> For which I respect Luke greatly, although I wonder, I, sometimes he kind of comes across as a... <laughs> He's a researcher. Um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he's, he's, he's one of those guys that would start sentences with, actually. Right? <laughs> now, actually, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the mother of James, and Mary, the mother of James. Um, not Salome, which is how Mark has it, okay, Salome, right? Yeah. Or, or, Cla- or, or uh, Matthew, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the other Mary. which is also kind of, uh, which one? <laughs> Hmm. I don't know. I just, I still agree with you that it's odd. It just, I don't think the, just the verb forms don't come across to me like a new set of actions. Oh, the te- is, the, as far as with told yeah, this 10, like it's not that th- they, those women went and told the 11, especially because the 11 and the apostles, that's two ways of naming the same thing, yep. but it is bizarre. Uh, yep. And I never noticed that before that she, he pushes it to the end like that, but they seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. Yeah, I brought up the gendered not believing them thing just because that's also that's only in Luke. And that's a very Luke thing to kind of do, right? To kind of say, like, you know, in the social hierarchies, the 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 insight usually comes from the bottom up and from the outside in, especially in mm-hmm. Luke's way of narrating mm-hmm. things. Do you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. just a very kind of, you know, they're the first to see it. But I'm with you, man. It sure sounds like an idle tale to me. Like, it's only because of my Christian faith that I find this story, you know, receivable as such, right? Because it's just otherwise, it's like, you're talking about dazzling, you know, men and an empty tomb, you know? Hmm. Well, going at the uh, another set of verbs, verse 7, the son of man must be... Hmm. delivered into the hands of sinful man, be crucified, and on the third day, be raised again. Mm-hmm. So you've got three actions that are happening to Jesus. He is That's delivered. Right. He is crucified. He is, he is raised. Yeah, so the it is necessary, the dei at the beginning, then is the anchor verb of which these three infinitives follow, right? Okay. Handed over, you know, to be handed over, to be cru- – they're all passive infinitives, Right. It is fitting or necessary for him to be handed over, to be crucified, and to be caused to rise, right? Oh, actually, no, that one isn't passive. My bad. That one's active. Be raised is... To raise, to arise. Oh, okay. So the the parallel in the... However, verse 6 is a passive. Verse 6 is a passive. Has risen. That doesn't come out right. right. Has risen is not the most, the best translation there. It's has been raised. Would be better. He has been slightly. Raised. It's a different verb too. There's two different words for resurrection in the New Testament, so that get kind of conflated in our English. <clears throat> were you? Uh, you were starting to say something. Were you hinting at something there, or interested? No, in just just interested in that in the parallelism that I've got: be delivered, triplet. be crucified, be raised. But uh, if if that's uh, I mean, it's it's a nice way of writing it. Yeah, yeah. Did yours put it in a pa- in a passive? Uh, has risen has in the passive, but um, be delivered, be crucified, be raised is the way it has all the. Oh really? Uh, well, that is nice style. Is that the yeah. NIV? Yep. Yeah. Good for them. The NIV usually, uh, I usually give the NIV a B minus at best on stylized. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some there's some work there. I think that you could delve into and want to delve into about about be delivered mm-hmm. so who, who is doing the delivering and that i mean that is just such a pointed 
yeah. and heated discussion, right? And and it, it goes into atonement theology really deeply about who is doing the delivering and whether Jesus' life is is given or it's taken from him. Mm. And um, Matthew, of course, has this consistent word uh, wording of, of being handed over. John has um, the sense of Jesus being the the true sacrifice who was offered mm-hmm. and given. And, and uh, here I'm just seeing it in Luke there, that uh, the Son of Man must be delivered. Yeah, and Paul, Paul uses the phrase as a reflexive. He hands himself over. For, mm-hmm. He gave himself mm-hmm. up for mm-hmm. me in Galatians 2.20. It's the same verb, paradidomai. Um, it's the same word translated betray for Judas. I think yeah. misleadingly, yeah, yeah, yeah. misleadingly translated betray because it, it, it moves the connection to these other yeah. paradidomai. Given over, handed over. Um, but Paul also in Romans eight says that he, you know, uh, handed over his son. Right? right. So yeah, you get these different who handed him over. Oh, that is fun. Well, I don't know. Maybe I think we've already got a lot of observations on the table. Let's take a quick break and come back and maybe run with that or other themes and go into maybe some more interpretive depth. Okay. Back to fresh text. Uh, we've done some observing of this passage, and now we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. Um, what's uh, what? Where, where do you where do you want to run with? I think we we I think we hit on some great little details. But uh, do you want to talk about? You want to talk about the atonement for a little bit? <laughs> you want to talk about what, what? Where do you where do you want to go? Um, you mentioned the question: Why do you look for the living among the dead? And that that's kind of stirring on me as well as a great as a great way to start to pull it into the congregation yeah and to to tease out some of the the internal drive and desire and yearning that that people have why why do we look huh and and the the dazzling men's naming of of the point of the search is looking for the living, right? There's this, there's this internal drive for something that is filled with life, that is alive, that is uh, strong, has strength. Um, yeah, I'm just stewing on that at the moment. Why, why do we look, and what are we looking for? Our, our, the the question why is in a sense already answered that. Why are you? Why are you looking? Because we're looking for life, right? There's this. There's a right. drive for life, and yet there's an invitation to to go back and ask why. Why are you looking? Um, and maybe maybe there's a way you could tease that out um, because the women don't realize that they, that's what they've done. Hmm. You know, like there's a way that this would illuminate their own actions that they would come to realize. Oh, this this is what we 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 thought we were coming to anoint the dead. We were actually doing something different. Um, there was something else that was happening in what we were doing. There might be a way that you could use that as a, as a, not just a lens into the women, but as a lens into our, your church, yourself. Yeah. That raises the the question. I mean, you can even ask it like, uh, where do we go looking for life? Right. Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of the, where you're heading with that? Right. Like what are the places? And you start with these women. Right. And we ask like, the beauty of it is they didn't even know, like you said, it kind of interprets their action, right? They thought they were seeking the dead among mm-hmm. the dead, right? You know, so it's like, where do you go? What you're, what you're really looking for, right, is the living one, Jesus. That deep in their heart of hearts, they want him to be alive. They just forgot that that's what he promised, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that actually ties into the remembering, right, is is the... Because in some ways, like, I mean, you know, we're talking about, you know, an Easter text here, right? And in some sense, like, in Easter, we're just remembering something that most of us already know, uh, but forget. Is there another word for, you know how sometimes you say, I forgot, and what you mean is not that you didn't know it anymore, it's that it wasn't on your mind, right? Like, forgetfulness can mean two Mm -hmm. different things. It can mean you actually lost a piece of information, 
And then there are other times where the, and someone, you know, like I've had, I mean, it just happened to me like last week where someone was like, Hey, you said you were going to do something for me. And I just forgot. Like, even when he reminded me, it doesn't, I'm just like, I had to say, I believe you <laughs> that I told you I would do that and I will do it. Right. Um, whereas most of the time someone says reminding you means like, Oh, I did know that. And it just slipped out of my consciousness. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to forget the livingness of Jesus? Right. What does it mean to, uh, because then that drives us to go looking for, uh, life in wrong, in the wrong places. Right. Is this making sense? I don't know if I'm riffing off what you're saying or not, but yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about that. Um, use another word. We think things that we can inadvertently bury in our minds, they get buried underneath other things that if there was only, if there was only one thing I had to remember, like you had one job, right? You had one thing to remember <laughs> and I could probably remember it. But, but what happens is other things right. get tossed on top of it. And so it gets buried and it's like, it takes a resurrection, right? It takes an unearthing mm. for something else to come to mind. And, and that, that remembering is that remembering takes reminding um, that they wouldn't have, I think the, 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 these, I'm going to call them angels. All right. I know it doesn't say angels. Says, but I'm going to call okay. them angels. Call I think angels. these angels are... Um, That's what he's implying, right? He's yeah. <laughs> they, are, they are doing something that if they didn't say that, the, the, the women would not have had this come back to mind. Mm-hmm. But the, the, it, took, it took an articulation from somebody else to, to unearth what, was, what had been buried in them. Mm-hmm. Right. What, what had been a, a beneath the surface desire. Um, and then I'm wondering like, well, does it, is there a missiological point there that it takes the women telling for the, for the, that to get carried on, right? That it took, it took the, the word of these angels and it takes the word of these, of these women to uh, reveal motive and to spark action. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. But yeah, I think there's something that the angels do that without their words would not have happened. Yeah. Cause the, I mean, like, like I already hinted at earlier, I mean, the empty tomb is not a self-interpreting event, right? It's possibility number 87 is that he raised from the dead, right? You have 86 <laughs> other things that would happen before you come to that as like the obvious, right? You know, like someone took the body, somebody yeah. did this, yeah. somebody, you know, um, they actually changed their mind after we left when it was the Sabbath and they buried him somewhere else. I mean, there's like so many other ways to explain it, right? Yeah. Um, so you precisely need this appearance as it appears in all of the, all of the gospels have some we'll say angelic appearance. I'll use the adjective. So that includes all the, cause it's, it's also a, a young man in Mark as well. Yeah. Um, so it's only angels in you. The term is only used in Matthew and John, but I'll call them all angelic. Uh, these angelic, this angelic, uh, proclamation, right? This angelic messenger, um, to, you know, it's one man in Mark. It's one angel in Matthew. It's two men in Luke and it's two angels in John. But the point is, there's this angelic message that begins to interpret the event. But it, interestingly, it interprets the event not in light of new information, right? Mm. But mm. by way of reminding yep. of what was already known, yep. right? Yeah. Um, just as Jesus does at the beginning of Luke, right? When he reads the, the passage from Isaiah, yep. right? And yep. is, you know, declaring, right, that this thing that you already know about is yeah. happening in your midst yeah. right let me remind you that it can, so it really does have this kind of brings the continuity back to because i believe it's three times he predicted and actually the peter running is very fitting because you know uh peter was the you know the one who first confesses that jesus is the christ and then jesus for the first time predicts his passion right he says that i will be handed over first time he uses that verb right um and sorry, what's the last part? What was it? Hand it over? What's the first time he uses that? In the passion prediction. Oh, okay, okay. That's actually a guess. I didn't check. Okay. <laughs> that, that was a remembrance, not a guess, <laughs> but it's a, a faint recollection. Um, I know he uses it in most of the most of the uh, passion predictions, right? That he will be handed over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he actually doesn't use it the first time, but it appears in the second and the third. Yeah, it's in the second one. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be handed over into human hands. Um, so, but the point is, is, you know, like Peter, 
Peter probably has a very... There's good reason to believe that perhaps some of these women were not there at that, you know, maybe they weren't there for the first prediction, the three passion predictions, right? Maybe it was just Peter and the the, ele- the other 11, right? Um, that was a memorable moment for Peter. Perhaps there was a subtle remembering of these words, right? Um, and But then again, maybe not, you know, but it's this remember, remember, remember what you forgot, right? Is that he said that he would do this, that he would be killed and that he would rise again. And of course, that's the the action of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said. There's a, there's a way that he's reminding that them. That same kind of reminding. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes, 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 yeah. yes. That's what just sticks out. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'm just getting into – I'm getting into preaching here for a second. Go ahead. Start. Is – You can't it it takes It takes the pressure off the preacher to be – creative in classic days like this when mm. we remember when we remember our job is to remind <laughs> yeah, and this is a this is a meta about the purpose right in some ways like even as i've been shifting the so this is meta on meta now but like <laughs> shifting the structure of the fresh text to kind of three instead of two parts yeah, yeah. um part of what i want to do is give us the freedom to explore homiletically, but not like landing on a sermon, you know, which is what I want us to really do in that third part. It's okay. Like, how are you actually going to preach it? Right. Whereas now, I mean, that's a bigger, that's that kind of, because in a way, like preaching and exegesis overlap and feed into each other. It's not like we exegete, then we stop and then we preach, which Mm -hmm. is kind of how we used to do it with the two structure. So part of why I wanted the threefold is like in this middle part where we're interpreting, yeah, we're starting to ask, what does this look like now? Right. Um, though we maybe haven't landed yet on exactly what we're going to preach. So you're saying something about the purpose of Easter preaching, right? Like whatever you end up doing, whatever your main point is or your three points are or your illustration. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and, and in some ways, it's something we don't do enough in preaching, I think, because of the creativity, the, the desire yeah. to be, let's be honest, entertaining. Yeah. Or to put and it pra- practical and practical, right? like have a wisdom element to it. Yes. That it would yeah. be not boring and not irrelevant. Yeah. Right. That it would connect. Yeah. And that's a good desire. Right. But that desire can um, create not create a kind of anxious striving oh, yeah. for excellence rather than a non-anxious creativity because actually that in the end stifles creativity like true creativity comes from all i gotta do is remind people how do i how do i how am i being moved to remind yeah and out of that um good kind of boredom where i don't i don't have to do anything but tell them the story again it's out of that that creativity comes actually is to just say yeah i have really little to accomplish this sunday Except remind people of the coolest thing that has ever happened. And if I can, and maybe that's asking even interpretively for us as preachers, how am I being reminded? Can I let this text remind me of the, of my first love, remind me of my calling? Cause I'm in this, I'm in this, there's this little apostolic secession here that runs from the women to the 11 to, you know, but it gets disrupted because it's kind of out of order. Like what, <laughs> you know, um, to the Emmaus road guys being drawn in, you know, uh, Thomas a week later, you kind of, everyone's getting included later, Paul. And, and then generation to generation, we are being reminded of this good news mm-hmm. and handing it on, which is also the same verb, mm-hmm. by the way, as the handing on is the handing mm-hmm. on. It's the word for tradition. Mm. Half the uses in the new Testament of hand on are as the verb for handing on what has been given to me. I hand on now to you wow. that wow. Christ was handed on <laughs> mm. same verb. Isn't that weird? Anyway, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I don't know. I just, I suddenly got inspired and right, right. Behold, right in front of you, Aaron, uh, I sort of had this like experience even now of just being reminded of my own vocation, which is to, remind people that Christ was raised. Yeah. You know, I don't know, man, that's cool. So I dig it. I dig it. Well, it takes the pressure off is a great way to put it. It takes the pressure off. I I think there's, there's, there's an image shift. There might, maybe is even a resurrection image shift of, I'm thinking about the, the pressure from outside that nails Jesus to the cross versus (laughs) the, the internal 
the internal life that that raised the Holy Spirit raises him from the dead, right? This this the pressure from the outside could only put him to death. Mm-hmm. This life from the inside gives him newness, and I'm thinking uh, gives brings resurrection. And I'm thinking of that as a as a picture of preaching that yes. that the pressure from the outside um, will ultimately can ultimately only bring death, but the 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 new life when the Holy Spirit is is inside of us and illuminating the text for us the new that 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 different kind of pressure pressure from the outside versus that internal pressure that that drives that us wells to, up. to speak yeah and to remind and and when that's um when there's been an encounter and a and i don't i don't want to overemphasize experience that you need a a mystical encounter in order to preach but there there's a way that i think we can have a wider view about what mystical experiences include, That's what perhaps that, that we don't have to put that in a sp- certain box, but to, to get in, I mean, I, w- I would say like this whenever I was, if I, this was mystical, te- teach preaching. Now. Yeah. To me, two minutes ago, that was mystical. To, to, I don't have to see visions and hear voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remembered yeah. that this is why I'm here. <laughs> right? Like, you know, like it, it can come from the intellect even there, and from the imagination. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. There, there was this subtle shift that would happen in my preaching experience where it was a shift of me trying to, to harness, do all this work to harness the, hmm. the passage mm-hmm. and put it down and, and get it homiletically effective and, pre- and pleasing. And, and then there was a shift that would happen that I went from being in control of the sermon to the sermon being in control of me mm. and this sense of, I want my people to hear this, that I have, I, right. something has gripped me and I want them to, I want them to be gripped by it as well. And, and I would say not every time I preached, but, but far more often than not, if I spend enough time in the word and prayer and, and letting myself experience that, that, uh, <laughs> that sense of, of, of desperation mm-hmm. that comes in preaching that, that the Lord was faithful to give me that resurrection moment of, that spoke to me. I really want my people to be gripped by that. And so the shift from being in control of the sermon to the word being in control of me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that moves away from, cause I know, I mean, I kind of have a hang up about Easter and Christmas preaching in particular that I've noticed the pattern of pastors are the only people in the room who are bored with this topic and trying to make it interesting again. <laughs> like, like for most of us in the room, right? The non-preachers, the hearers, like, just tell it again, man. I just yeah. want to hear it. Preach the same sermon. Yeah. You don't have to like, but you can sometimes in the, in the kind of anxious creativity. And sometimes I've heard brilliant Easter sermons that I could, I could feel it. I could sense it. And you even had clues sometimes in the ways things were said that this came out of a kind of anxious productivity rather mm. than a non-anxious creativity. Mm. It was what new thing can I do to make this old yawn story interesting for people again? Mm-hmm. Assuming that the people are the ones who are uninterested when actually it's usually just the preacher who's had to preach this same text so many times yeah. that we're the ones who get tired of it. Yeah. No one walks in the room on Easter Sunday <laughs> bored with this topic. I've never met a person who shows up on Easter <laughs> thinking like, well, how are they going to make this dumb old story interesting? Like, I've just never met that. Maybe they exist and I just haven't met them. No, I would, I would push back. I've met, do I, it. I have met them. Okay, good, good, good. They do exist you. because this is the only Sunday they come. True, and they're true, not, true, true, true. they're not there for the story. They're there for mom. True, true, or they're, true. they're there for grandma. Um, but I want to say, man, preach to mom and preach to grandma because if there's any chance of, of life getting into them, it's those people who find this drab and boring and dusty actually getting around people who are filled with That's the right. life of the resurrection. That's a good Christ. insight. And I say, so you're with me, but on a different basis. Yeah, it's kind of like, I'm yeah, saying, go ahead and preach to the person who's heard it because it's the, their witness at lunch that day that's going to make the difference. At, yeah, they're that's they're a good the insight. they're the women who are going to carry the story back. Ah, you, know oh, I mean? you might even you know? have to slip that in. <laughs> well, I know there's a lot of guys here who are here because of women in your life. Yeah, Listen I, to them. <laughs> you can maybe well, do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it might be dad or grandpa too, right? It, but it's 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 that's why you said men. It's, it's just women it, in your life because it could be. But it's yeah. uh, it's the people who have actually encountered the resurrected Christ. Yeah, or 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 are confident they will because the women at this point haven't encountered him. That's right. They haven't yet encountered him, but, but they're confident they will. They've been, they've been reminded. reminded. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and uh, boy, so maybe they. We maybe, don't know how confident they are. Maybe they've just been stirred to some hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The 
you know, because they've encountered something. Yeah. No, I think you're honest with it. I I think it's really helpful as a vision, whatever. This is great because what we're doing here is interpreting the event of Easter preaching. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of what we're saying here doesn't make its way into a sermon. Right. But boy, it fuels it. But it fuels it and frames it. What am I doing? What's my purpose? And I think my audience and we don't do it. If we don't do that work, (laughs) if we go straight from exegesis (sighs) to productivity of, of, of the sermon, then it's all just, how can I make this old text new instead (laughs) of like, you know, what is, you know, what, why am I preaching? Because if I know what my purpose is, I often say that even to my students that sometimes the more important thing the thing that makes your sermons biblical is when they're accomplishing the same thing as your text, not when they're yeah. saying yeah, what yeah. your text said. Yeah. So the text can say it for itself. Learn how to read the Bible well in public. Yeah. That's all you need for that. Yeah. The text can speak for itself. Yeah. What your job is to create, what, what's the purpose of the text? The purpose of the original text is shapes the purpose of your sermon. And that gives you a principle of selectivity of what to include and what to not. That's how you ask because the question isn't how interesting an illustration is or even how relevant it is to your content. It's what is, how does it serve the purpose of my sermon? Because yeah. sometimes a really good, interesting illustration, story, or joke actually does fit the content of your sermon. But the, the whole vibe and, yeah. and, and uh, feel of the story yeah. puts the congregation in a mood that's totally contrary to the purpose of your sermon right so sometimes you have to set that one aside for a different week you know i can yeah. tell you're brewing with something go ahead oh well i i mean i just i when I, when we were talking about who's the audience yeah is there's a way that um even with the the names being listed mm. is at some point this story would have been told and i wonder if mary magdalene joanna mary the mother of james would ever say tell tell us again like it's for them, it's mm. it's for it's for these women who might be tempted to forget. Why did we seek the living among the dead? Why did we do that? Tell tell us the story again. Mm. It's our story. Tell us about it. And if I and I preach that to the church because some of them are actually seeking the living. They're seeking the Lord Jesus among the dead. Those who are gathered on Sunday morning that are not there for any reason except to be yeah. polite, and and to preach to them that why why are you here? You are here because you encountered the the empty tomb, That's right. and there's a yearning still to anticipate the, the resurrected Christ because they haven't anticipated it. They're they're anticipating him here. There's a sense of hope. There's courage for sure. Well, and, um, for Christians, in some ways, we do live between empty mm-hmm, tomb and mm-hmm, appearance of Christ mm-hmm. because we are after the bodily appearance of Christ. Mm-hmm. He's now ascended and hidden physically, yeah. and we will I, not see him physically until the end. So we live in that space, not in terms of our knowledge. Yeah. By faith, we know that he was both raised and appeared. Yeah. But in our own yeah, experience, yeah, yeah. empty tomb is in the past and appearance is still to come. Mm-hmm. So we live in that space mm-hmm. where faith falls dead. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you're right about the, the people who come with for the women in their life. I definitely had those in my church when I preached. Do you know what I mean? Um, although interestingly enough, it wasn't that they came in arms folded. What are you going to do with Easter? It was just arms folded about church in general. Yeah, you know they, I mean? yeah, they're 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 polite. Yeah, right. They're polite people. They're they're not skeptics. Yeah, they're not skeptics to be won over. They're they're polite people who are are good folks that you chat with and yeah. are, are and honoring last... honoring mom and dad. Yeah, or grandpa, grandma, or son and daughter. I mean, who, yeah. who knows, right? You know, they're honoring whoever they're going to go to right. Easter dinner with. Right, right, <laughs> later. Right, and so, but like, you know, to remind even them of something they've heard before, you know. Perhaps last year, the last time they came, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? To be able to remind them, whatever you think of the truth of this, how, however much you believe, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, this is this beautiful thing to remind you of the truth of this wonderful word. Hmm. Right? Hey, I just got one more observation here. Do it. Shoot. Uh, I just, uh, Peter has, has a similar posture. So in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. Peter, when he goes to the tomb, bends over. So there's a sense of both of them having this hmm. this posture of 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 being bent, of of going down um, in the in the tombs area. So I was wondering because I was wondering that why is Peter bending over. I mean, of course, like this would be like a in order a, to see a, a, a small still. right, but there's there's a way that it's um, if you know what a tomb is like, you would need to know that he bent over. Right, because right, right, be, right. you know you'd have, just have to do in. that. You yeah, just yeah, but there's a similar posture there. Perhaps I don't know. I just I like it. Sometimes, sometimes observations catch you at strange times, right? Yeah. So, well, anyway. it's a mistake to ever think that there's a purely chronological ordering from observation to interpretation yeah, to application, right? right? Yeah. It's often 
for me, sometimes an interpretive insight gets me excited to then see some new observations and doubles back. So that's fine. You do, you ever, do you ever get one of those right in the middle of a sermon? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It, it's the best and the worst, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah, the yeah. best because you're like, your mind starts going a mile a minute. Like, how do I fit this in? I, I got to tell them. And then it's the worst because you're like, so it's all it's written. It's relevant. all I can't. I can't or, squeeze it in, or I don't. Or even know if it is. is relevant, it's just going to distract. It hasn't. It hasn't settled in. So anyway, all right. I used. To, I used to bring them up, and then over time, I kind of acquired the discipline of you'll get another chance. Yeah. You know, like you, you just tuck that one away. Yeah, yeah. Especially with Easter, because man, you're going to preach this. You're going to preach this one again every year. So yeah. why not uh, tuck away every little observation? Because who knows how it might who feel knows? next yeah. year? That's yeah. right. Let's take a quick break and come back and write a quick sermon. (laughs) And we're back. Welcome to Fresh Text. Uh, I've got my most frequent co-host here. Aaron Perry, and we are discussing the Easter text from year C. So we're doing the Luke. So we're in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. And we did some observations and did some interpreting. That was a fun conversation thinking about, I mean, resurrection preaching is there's the connection there, you know, in a way mm-hmm. that the, the commissioning of the church emerges out of, mm-hmm. out of resurrection. Um, so yeah, what, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's write a sermon. <laughs> Me and you. We can do one together, maybe instead of two separate ones. I don't know. Yeah. I've been wanting to try that. <laughs> well, I mean, I can. I unless we're not on the same page. Right now, I'm into that. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Yeah. And that sense of of naming the naming the the faithful ones who have seen the empty tomb and are anticipating the resurrected Christ, and mm-hmm. and and gearing a sermon towards them around that question: Why do you seek the living among the dead? And and reminding them of of why they are there and if other people overhear it they might think it's nonsense you know they might think but that's that's where i would go and i might even say that you know i might yeah, i might even it. have that as a you know this is you are here um to hear you know actually they're not there to hear the sermon some people are and i'm going to preach to them yeah, yeah you know? right <laughs> um i think that's okay yeah that, that's where i go and, and delve into that to remind them of the why and and life and death the the death that we are surrounded in yeah. and i mean, even think about how luke starts right luke starts with barren old couple that's true but new life comes yeah in. that's a nice time uh, yeah. um and there's there's a way that that we're christmas, surrounded in the context of death because christmas anticipates resurrection and resurrection completes it you know i mean they're connected there's a reason why yeah. christmas yeah, and yeah. easter are the high yeah. holy days of the yeah. year there's a reason for that yeah and maybe name name some of the ways that we see death around us um, what comes know, to mind in that regard? Oh, well, there's so many now. Yeah, I know. But I mean, well, uh, no, no, that's all right. Yeah, the way we seek the living among the dead. I mean, yeah. just the, and it's the a words. question. I love that it's a question. And it's words. only in Luke. It's really beautiful phrasing. I mean, I, I mean, social media is, is so often filled with words of death. I yeah. mean, like I just I saw one the other day, and it was it was stupid. It was some kind of news article, and one person voiced a disagreement with the thesis of the of the news article, and it was trying to argue a point. And the only response that came back to it was a person just said, "Kill yourself." Mm-hmm. Like that was the whole response. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Like, but we there are words of death around us, yeah. you know, and there is. Um, you know, there. I mean, Pope John Paul II, right? Calling that there's elements of a culture of death that um, that we live we live in. Um, I'm thinking about perhaps some of the people in our church that have been reminded of this story again and again. And um, I, I'm going through a book called Elders Rising by Roland Martinson. And one of the people he interviewed for the book, it's a book on the perils of aging, promise and perils of aging. Great subtitle is one of the people he interviewed had been to 71 or 72 funerals. Mm. Like, man, like, yeah. The interesting thing is he said, um, the church was the context for those funerals, but also the place where he made new friends. And mm. so it's interesting that, um, that that was, uh, there's a way that, that, that was his yeah, life. His life had this mixture of, of there's death a kind life. of twist answer to this question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Mm. Well, because, the light shines in the darkness mm. and life comes to the dead. Right. I mean, there, there is a yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. there is a kind of playful yeah. 
answer to this question. Yeah. And you can actually, that would be one way to even structure the sermon, just artistically thinking now and outline, which is my, the thing I'm the best at is the structure of a sermon. My wife always jokes that she like, cause she's such a better preacher than me and such a better writer and composer. But like she gets to that moment when she's kind of like needs to put her ideas <laughs> in an order. That's when she knocks on my door. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> help me put these in order yeah, and she'll yeah, tell yeah. me all this awesome stuff I'm like oh yeah that goes first that goes second that goes third <laughs> she's like yeah and then she leaves that's all I ever contribute <laughs> but anyway I was thinking about this idea though like one way to structure it is different answers to the question you know and you could, yeah, ha- you sure. could have a kind of yep. you could have a kind yep. of Lowry loop that follows yep. that yep. right because why do I seek the dead among the, the living among the dead the first answer is because Death is all we know. Yeah. To live is only to die. Like you could really yeah. start out with a kind of, that would maybe be the, the ugh. The oops yeah. could be a little more playful. Like, uh, I don't know angels because he died. We saw it. We're literally the same ladies who saw, this is where you laid him. You yeah. know, like you could reference yeah. the previous verses and then go in deeper to say, why do we seek the dead among the living? Get a little deeper to death is, death is all we know. Death is the conclusion of life. That's all. You know yeah. why? And then finally, then you spill it around. What's that? Well, you might you might use spices as a metaphor. That all we do is is treat dead things to make them a little a little not less as smelly. Yeah. yeah. See, this is a good. Um, well, yeah, I, just, right? I just want I just want to mention one thing. So you mentioned the Lowry loop. That's from the homiletical plot by Eugene Lowry. Yeah. In case listeners aren't familiar with uh, the homiletical plot as a sermon, excellent book. But keep on keep on going. No, I just, no, yeah. If, thank you for yeah. tagging that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, don't you have a book on that? That. Ah, <laughs> do I ever? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Uh, putting the plot put, back in preaching. Putting the right? plot back yeah. in preaching. That's yeah, it. It's a, it's a just trying to make Lowry loop, trying to show the moves of the Lowry loop and tease them out a little bit. But, yeah, yeah, and it's kind of short actually. And more if accessible. I've, I've got a bunch of uh, coupon codes for that, so if listeners want hey, a copy, yo. I'd be glad to send them a coupon code. Just email me. Boom. So there you go. Well, you got to go, right? So I'll wrap it up. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like pretty obvious. Right? <laughs> Body language. <laughs> Put my phone away. I know. <laughs> oh, I was giving John all kinds of subtle cues that this needed to wrap up by putting my my yeah. timepiece in my pocket. And then pocket, I ruined it by saying wrapping it my on bottle, the air because but... I'm that guy. <laughs> Listen, I did hear. I'll say one other quick thing, and then we'll wrap up. I I did hear Bud Bentz, one of my mentors, give a sermon once on the remember, and he asked. Um, how, why did they forget? He asked, mm, and he had a few points. I don't remember his points, but I could, you could write a whole new sermon on that question. And in, instead of trying to find buds, just take the insight yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. What leads us to forget yeah. the resurrection? Yeah. You know, that could be fun too. Yeah. Um, but the man, my biggest takeaway from this conversation today is the overall point of Easter preaching. And yeah. I feel like that would be whole, you know, you know, a lot this is going to drop just six days before Easter. Probably a lot of our, a lot of our listeners have, are already way ahead on their sermons and they're just listening to this for fun and maybe to get a little new inspiration. I would, you know, well, depending on the preacher, depends on the preacher. Some, style, some of them might, you know? might be a solo pastor and they just, they go week to week. I was week to week guy. Right. Week so this would have been great for me yeah. to have this on Monday morning, but, but if not, hopefully this conversation is even helpful. If yeah. not what you're doing, yeah. we're just reminding yeah. people of something um, yeah. that is in a way easy to forget. Cause it's kind of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> that she would be raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. This wonderful truth. All right, man. Well, uh, yeah. Got anything to plug other than the usual? Well, putting the plot back in preaching. There you go. So uh, hopefully I'll run into coupon code codes and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and somebody else have to buy it. But uh, anyways, yeah, free, free, free uh, copy of that to, I don't know, probably about 50 coupon codes left. Great. So I'm yeah. sure that I'm sure it won't run out. Yeah, and then the demon in leadership. Uh, this will drop mid April, but there'll still be yeah, some slots left still, then. So that'll still be... taking applications. I'm just getting so excited about that. Yeah, um, and there's a sense in which um, good leadership teaching is a reminding of what people already know. Like leadership is a multidisciplinary field, and so many of the things that 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 leaders do well mm. is stuff that people know they should already do. They just need courage to do it and reminder that oh. That really is important to do. So, I mean, yeah. there's a way that there's a way that, rem- that leadership studies is about reminding because most of the stuff people are like, yeah, I know I should do that. Well, yeah, you should. But why do we not? You know, why do we yeah, forget? Why do we forget? Why do we not? What yeah. are the blockage? So, yeah, when my wife started her PhD in practical theology, one of her mentors said to her, because she's feeling nervous about it or whatever, and, and she said, well, you'll find that a lot of this is just learning how to name your intuitions. Mm. Right? So you have the intuitions, mm-hmm. but you can't name them and make them explicit. So you can't talk about them yep. and hand them on to others. And right. You yep. know, 
um, do them more intentionally and stuff yep. like that. So great. Well, I want to thank you, Aaron, for this conversation. I had a great time. Me I too. Did too. Thanks, and, and we want to thank all our listeners. Thank Eric uh, Fisher, our producer, and thank Tom Adamson for the donating the theme music. And I think that's the gist. Make sure to uh, like us and uh, subscribe and write a review if you get a chance um, on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. And we'll say to you, have a good preach and a great week. Bye.